0: Well, good morning again. Just great to see all of you. Uh, We're going to be continuing in our study of Colossians this week. We finished up chapter 2 last week, so we'll be picking up in chapter 3, and we'll go through verses 1 through 17. And what I have for you today is uh, something I'm excited about. I I like the way Paul does his letters, I, I really do. You probably know about the pattern he uses. He spends the first half or or so building the theology, the foundation of what Christianity is, of of who Christ is and who you are in him, and then he shifts to application. Okay, because all of that is true, now what? And so that's where we are today. And so what I hope is that today will be one of the most practical sermons you ever hear, and it will come directly from God's Word. And what we saw last week, just to, to remind you, is Paul gave us several false Christianities, false uh, ways of Christian growth and experiencing Jesus. Uh, We said that there were people saying that we need to just do a bunch of good deeds, just pile on a bunch of good deeds, and that's what will make you grow. Or don't don't break any of these rules. Make a lot of barriers and rules, and, and that will make you more godly. And then they said, to have a spiritual experience, you just need to force it. You need to foster, you need to make your emotions, you know, just feel excited. And that is somehow experiencing Jesus. But what we saw from Paul, from, from Colossians chapter 2, is that all of these were found lacking. They were, they were bankrupt. They were distractions, distractions at best. But at worst, they were destructive of what God's doing in our lives and what he wants to do in your life and mine. So last week I told you what not to do, or rather Paul told us and I, I uh, carried that message on, right? What not to do, but that's only half the battle, right? <laughs> Knowing what not to do um, is only half the battle. This week what we'll see is what should we do as Christians? What should we do to grow in Christ? What should we do to truly experience Christ? What is it to live in as a practical Christian. Now, I want to be careful with that word practical. What I don't mean is a, a weak Christian, one who I only do practical things. No, no, I mean, how do you practically grow in a supernatural way through Christ? That's what we're going to look at today. And we'll read it right now in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Don't fall asleep on me now. This is 17 verses. I know, we'll make it. <laughs> Here we go. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's God's word. Let's pray. Father God, I ask simply that you would show us, that you would reveal to us what it is you would have the pattern, the patterns of our lives be. God, what are these holy habits that you would like to see implemented in our lives that we might be missing? God, if we're frustrated with a lack of growth, if we're frustrated with the way uh, we're, we're still acting in our lives, God, would you show us today the resources that you have given us to change our hearts? God, only you can do that, and I pray that you'd show us all this through your word, in your son's name, amen. All right, so we, we said, what is this practical Christianity? That's what Paul is going to show us today. So the first point of practical Christianity, number one in your notes, we need to foster a heavenly focus, foster a heavenly focus. This is how Christians will grow, by by fostering this heavenly focus. He says that in verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read those for you. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, there's something interesting here that I want to point out. Again, I love our Bibles, and I love that we have, uh, you know, uh, chapters and verse divisions that help us find it and locate it. But sometimes it makes it difficult to, to make connections. If you have your Bible open, look back at uh, chapter 2, verse 20. 2, verse 20. Chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 20. He says there, If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And then it goes on to list the regulations. Why, if you have died to the elemental spirits, these these foolish teachings of the world, uh, do you live as if you were still, you know, restrained by these things, these old ways? So that's where he says there. But look at what he says in in verse 1 here. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things above. So what Paul's doing here is, in, that, in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, if you've died, why do you continue living in these dead ways? But here in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, if you're alive, here's what you need to do. He, he's making a contrast here. This is what you don't need to do. That's, that's your old life. That's your old identity. But here is what you do need to do. This new life you have in Christ, this is how you work out your faith right here. That's just something I thought was interesting that we see this contrast Paul is giving us. So he says, if you've been raised with Christ, if you're alive, if you've trusted in Jesus, he's made you a new creation, here is what you should do. It goes on to say, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So there are two very similar things that Paul wants us to do. They have a major distinction, but the two words I want you to focus on there is seek and set. Seek and set. You guys, if you have a pen or something, circle that in your notes. You don't have to circle in your Bible if you don't want, but seek and set. This is so important for our, our Christian growth and our Christian lives. He says there, seek the things that are above Then it goes on to say, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What's going on here is there's this new preoccupation that's supposed to happen in the Christian's life. They're supposed to seek these things that are above, but that's not the end of it. And that's where we often stop, and that's the problem. We're supposed to also set our minds on those very same things. So we we seek out these things that are above and then we set or we meditate on these uh, spiritual realities as well. So what is above? (laughs) Seek the things that are above. You know, some of us are kind of looking up. Okay, you know, well, great. Seek the things that are above. I love bird watching. You know, you don't need a telescope for what Paul is telling us to do. You don't need binoculars. You don't need anything like that. Above here is shorthand, for heavenly realities pertaining to Christ. Heavenly realities pertaining to Christ, okay? I'll show you where I get that. It says in in verse 1, it says, seek the things that are above, here we go, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It's not just things above, vaguely. This is thinking on Christ, these heavenly realities. We, We see who Jesus is, When we look up to the heavens, when we look above, we see what he's done, and we see who we are in him. You've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. That's what's going on here. Setting our minds, seeking and setting our minds on these heavenly realities. He goes on to explain this a little bit more in verse 3. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What I think he's doing is he's going ahead and giving us some of these heavenly realities to set our minds on. He says, you've died. What does that mean? It means we've died to sin. In Christ, our sin has been paid for because he died and we died with him. And not only that, he put our sin nature to death. So we're no longer enslaved to sin if we're found in Christ. We're no longer dominated by sin. That, that's, that's a beautiful heavenly reality about what Christ has done and who we are in him. We've died to sin. And then he goes on to say, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden with Christ in God. This is another reality. What I think he's saying here is you have this new eternal life and, and, and you, you don't have to be afraid of losing it. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. It is secure. You think of uh, Romans 8, how it ends. Uh, if, if God has done all these things, who can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord? <laughs> no one. Who, who is going to pull me and my life out of the hands of God? It's hidden with Christ in God. These are these eternal realities Paul's already giving us. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm I'm eternally uh, protected by God. And he explains this heavenly focus a little more in verse 4. He goes on to say, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So it says there, Christ, who is your life. These are times we need to set our minds on it. We need to seek what's going on here? what's, What's he saying? Christ who is your life. That is amazing. Your life is no longer you. It's no longer your power. It is Christ who's filled you with this life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives within me. That is amazing. That With, with his life comes a new kind of quality. So eternal life is two things, by the way. Eternal life is a quantity uh, on forever but it's also a new quality, a new value to life. And that's what we get when we have Christ who is our life. These, these new abilities to, to worship God, to do the things we're created to do. These new resources and power in Christ to accomplish what he would have for us. Christ, who is your life. It's amazing. And it says there that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What Paul's trying to do there is trying to point our minds, focus our minds on the future glory that will one day be revealed to us. It is already glorious what God has done for us, and he has stored up for us amazing glory. And that's what Paul's talking about. That one day we will see God and his glory in fullness. And one day I will have a new body that doesn't struggle with health issues. It doesn't struggle with sin issues anymore. And that perfect body will perfectly reflect the glory of God like it was created to do. Man, we have an amazing future glory. And Paul's drawing our minds to these heavenly realities. And we could go on and on and on about these heaven re- heavenly realities. But what I want to point out is all of these show us who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and who we are in Him. And we could spend the rest of the time, we really could, seeking these truths and then trying to meditate on them, to to set our minds on them, but that's not actually the point of this sermon. But the point of this sermon is to show you that that is what you need to do. (laughs) We're not going to spend the time doing that right now. It's it's to train you to seek these truths and then to set your minds on them. There's a lot there. When Christ, who is your life, appears, Man, that's just amazing. Then you also will appear with him in glory. There's so much there. There's so much there. And what the point is here, when you begin to take on these heavenly realities that you've sought and set your minds on, then you begin to adopt heavenly values. You begin to, to have a heavenly perspective about the world. You know, some people say, and you've probably heard this before, some people say, oh, your mind's so stuck on heaven that you're of no earthly good. That is exactly wrong. That's exactly opposite of what Paul's saying here. He's saying, if you put your mind in the heavenlies, these heavenly realities, then you can see the world the way it really is. You can value the things that are truly valuable. That's what's going on. Let's just think about this for a second and this isn't picking on anyone or anything, Uh, these are just, you know, principles that are things that I think about. If we have the very life of Christ Jesus in us, why are we so often tripped up on the, ooh, I couldn't possibly do that idea? Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm not mature enough. I've messed up too much. You know, I, I don't have those abilities. You have the life of Christ in you. We get tripped up on that. The Bible tells us that we'll have fullness of joy for eternity. We'll be co-heirs with Christ of all creation, of all the new creation. But then we're, we're so flustered. We're so flustered if we don't get that great sale, that sale price. I know Black Friday's coming up. <laughs> if I don't get it, it's going to be the end of the world. Look, you have everything for eternity. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? You know, and we even think I'll have all eternity to to have full joy, full pleasure, full all these things, but if someone cuts me off on the road and causes me to be two seconds later to my destination, I'm, I'm just angry. Why is that? All these things show that we don't have this heavenly perspective. We don't have heavenly values. But, but, If we would listen to Paul, that we would seek the things that are above, set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things here below, then our lives would change. We'd begin to see how silly these little things are, these fleeting pleasures, these little problems. We'd begin to wonder, you know, I wonder how my life can be more effective eternally. Not just here, not how I can just enjoy the moment. How can I be effective for eternity? We'll start to take account of how we're, we're spending our time, our money, our energy, our affections. Am I, am I spending all this, this one life I've got, the 80 years you were talking about, Mike, am I spending this on, on worthwhile things? you will start to have that perspective. And you will be willing to risk everything, knowing that your life is hidden with Christ in God. What's, what's anything going to hurt me? What, what's going to bother me? You think of the missionaries, oh, that's dangerous business, you know, they, they get hurt, they get persecuted, they get killed. What did they lose? Don't, don't fear those who can only kill your body. Fear Him, who, who can kill the soul. This, this is what we're worried about. We, we don't bother with these earthly things. These all show that we have our minds set on earthly things rather than heavenly things. And when we haven't set on heavenly things, we get these new values, these new perspectives— I was thinking one, one very important one here is when we have this, these eternal values and this eternal perspective, we start to see other people in light of eternity. All of a sudden, it's not just that person you pass by in the grocery store. All of a sudden, it's, it's not just a friend you know at work. All of a sudden, this is an eternal soul. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. And you realize... I want to do something about it. These things change you. These perspectives change you. Everything changes. Now I want to say something. This might seem trivial, uh, but where do we get this heavenly focus? Where do we get this? I'll tell you right now, your imagination and and what the TV tells you and and these like self-help books or whatever tell you, that's not where you'll get the heavenly focus that you need. Now, again, I know this is basic, but our Bibles are the only place that we will truly get this heavenly focus. It is the only firm foundation that we have of, of the truth of God, of these heavenly realities. I just want to say that <laughs> before I go any further. that I'm not telling you to just you know, try to sit there and picture Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. It honestly sounds kind of boring. Read your Bible and see how great that king is sitting at the right hand of God. That's what we've got. So seek these heavenly realities in God's Word. So th- that's, this is the, the beginning stage, is I, I read God's Word, I hear God's Word in a sermon like this, I you know, maybe read a devotional that explains God's Word, and I'm seeking these truths, these heavenly realities, but we cannot stop there. We cannot just go on about our day and hope that, that what we read this morning will magically change us. It won't it won't. What we need to do is the next step Paul gets us, gives us is we then set our minds on the heavenly realities. We seek them, and then we set our minds on these heavenly realities in God's word. Listen to a few verses. I just thought these were so helpful. Joshua, Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to that which is written in it, for then you, you, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. This book of the law, meditate on it day and night. It's not just to be read in the first thing in the morning, and then then forgotten throughout the day. Meditate on it. Then you'll be careful to do all that's written in it. I think of uh, other things in our lives. Many people want to live the blessed life. You know the, the Bible talks about the blessed life. Well, a great example there is Psalms one. Psalms 1, blessed is the man who walks not on the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And what's his life look like? It says there, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. It doesn't happen if we're not meditating on his word day and night. You might think, Man, I really lack passion for God. I see these other people. They they, they seem to have these ideas of God, these ideas of grandeur, but I just think very little of God. I, I wish I thought higher of God. Well meditation, seeking and setting our minds is what we need to do. Listen to this verse. Psalm one forty-five five says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Man, I'd say we all could use that. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. That's what starts to grow this passion inside us, this longing to worship him, this longing to serve him and obey him, to meditate on his majesty and his wondrous works. You might say, well, I'm really struggling, you know, to to keep heart, to stay encouraged in light of all these circumstances in life. Listen to this verse, Psalm 119, 107. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. God, as I look on your word, as I meditate on your word, give me life. I'm severely afflicted. I need you. I need you to encourage me. Give me life according to your word. You can even think of uh, Philippians 4 as well for that one. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. But then it goes on to say, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is peaceable, whatever is and all these good things, think on these things it's all a part of it. We, we pray to God. We're, we're meditating on these good things of God. And one last one I want to give you. You keep getting tripped up with sin. I keep getting tripped up with sin. We're going to talk about this more in a moment, but Psalm one nineteen eleven, you probably know this verse. I have stored up or hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is what changes us. It's, it's really not whether you can, you know, answer the questions correctly on a Bible trivia quiz. Really doesn't matter. It's really not if you can have an intelligent-looking spiritual conversation. Oh, I know these theological things. I can talk about them. That really does not matter. The question is, are you meditating on them? Are they changing your life? Are they being driven down deep? You know, we do this with everything else. Not everything else, but many things in life. Think of tea, Okay. I like tea. I don't know if that's weird or not, but Hallie and I will drink it at night lots of times, and um, when I make a tea, you know, you, you boil the water, you get it there, and I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't take the tea bag and stick it in and then pull it back out real quick and say, okay, it's good. I don't do that. Sure, there's a little bit of the tea in there, and that, that I could say, well, that's good enough. I got a little tea in there, but that's not, not how it works. We let the tea stay in there, and it, it seeps out, and it, it starts to change the water. It starts to change color. It starts to change flavor. It has to sit in there and soak. And that's what we have to do with God's Word. When we see these heavenly realities, these, these, these values, these things of Christ, who we are, when we are shown these, we need to let it sit there and change us and, and change the flavor and change what we look like. That's what we do. You can think of another one a fire say it's a cold day it's it's pretty cold out right now but say it's a cold day and you come up on a fire you know you're like oh i am chilled to the bone i'm going to warm up you don't walk up to the fire and then turn and walk away real quick okay i'm good i'm warmed up that's that's simply not how it works you, you stand there, you know, you might even turn like a rotisserie chicken, letting yourself warm, and it starts to, you know, first it gets your skin, then it starts to get down into your bones, and before you know it, you're warmed by the fire, but you had to stay there. That's how it is with these heavenly realities of God's Word. This is why we know so much theology, but yet we feel like our hearts aren't changing. Because we're not letting it it sit on us. We're not setting our minds on the things that are above. We're keeping our heads down here on the earthly all too often. And the amazing thing is, and this is what we'll look at next: the amazing thing is, when your heart does begin to change, when you're focused on these heavenly realities and your heart begins to change, your actions will begin to change as well. And that's number two in your notes: put off worldliness put off worldliness. This is verses 5 through 11, and I'm not really going to spend much time here. I'm not going to reread them. I'll just pick up, and you have them there in your notes. I'll pick up some uh, main points that I want to show you here, but basically what we have is if a Christian wants to, you know, keep this heavenly focus, at some point they're going to have to start putting off sin. They're going to have to start putting off worldliness. It's not enough to to just seek and set our minds on these things. At some point, we've got to start obeying what we're reading. And that's what it shows. We see there in uh, verse 5 and verse 8, but verse 5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then it gives a list of sins. Put to death, therefore, because you're alive, because you want to have these heavenly realities change you, put to death what is earthly in you. And then we see that again in verse 8. Verse 8, But now you must put them all away. And then another list of sins. Put to death. Put them all away. All this worldliness. Well, why? Why, why do I need to put these sins to death in order to, uh, you know, uh, have and keep this heavenly focus? Well, I think the answer is there in verse 6. See that verse 6 right there? It says, On account of these, these sins, on account of these the wrath of God is coming. Basically, what it's saying there is, God hates these sins. These sins in your life are active rebellion against him. Active rebellion. That's, exa- that's the definition of sin. And so the question is, how could you think that I, you know, I'm going to have my head in the heavenlies where Christ is seated but I'm also going to actively rebel against him. I'm going to actively do the things that he hates. It doesn't work. You cannot serve two masters, right? You're, you're either going to be you know, filled with these sins and desiring these sins, and it's going to push Jesus out of your mind. It's going to push this heavenly focus out of your mind, or you're going to set your mind on Jesus, and you're going to obey him, and it's going to push out this worldliness, and you'll be more filled with Him. You, you can't do both. You can't have a heavenly focused mind that's changing and growing, that's being warmed by the fire, that's becoming more delicious tea. You know, you can't have that while still living in sin. So great, I need to put off worldliness. I, I see that now, but how do I do that? And I'm, I'm going to try not to get too far down this path, but I think it's in these verses and, and in other verses as well. But how do I do this? How do I put off worldliness? Again, this is very practical. Um, See here, um, when I read that, put to death therefore what is earthly um, in you, that immediately reminds me of a verse, and it might remind you of a verse too. It's in, in Romans 8, verse 13, it says, if you live according to the flesh, that's these earthly things, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So put to death what's earthly in you. And here it says, by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's what we got to do. We got to put these sins to death by the Spirit. Well, that sounds kind of vague. I realize that. So I'm going to give you just a couple more little insights. I think it means, number one, we're relying on the Holy Spirit to kill these sins. To say, oh, I'm just going to get these sins out of my life is moving right back to what we said last week was of no value right? We said that these things are no, of no value in, I don't know, uh, stopping, stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's what I said at the very end last week. Just saying, I'm going to stop these sins is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. But what we need is a reliance on God, the Spirit. John 15:5. without me, you can do nothing. We need to accept that and call on Him who can do something. <laughs> we rely on Him. And secondly, I think it means we use the Spirit's weapons, the resources the Spirit has given us. Uh, Gal- not Galatians, Ephesians six seventeen 17. the whole armor of God. It says, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the weapon of the Spirit to put sin to death is the Word of God. And so this is what we were just talking about before, isn't it? We, we, we seek these things in God's Word and we set our minds on them and what we can do in these areas of sin, these areas of worldliness that we see in our lives, we seek verses, we seek promises, we seek uh, uh, instruction in God's Word that applies to that area of our life, and we meditate on it. We say, God, I'm struggling with this. It said there, the this, this sexual purity, and we'll get there in a second. God, I'm struggling with this sexual immorality. I need you to show me. I need you to... to uh, the, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I need to meditate on these things until my heart wants this type of purity. That's how we fight with the sword of the spirit which is the word of God as we rely on the spirit of God to put this worldliness, this sin to death in our lives. But there's a second thing and this is in our verses here. We need to put off worldliness at the root. We need to to dig up sin at the root. Um, so I'll just tell you, like at the house I'm at right now, the, the people before us, I don't know, they really like shrubs. <laughs> they like shrubs a lot more than I like shrubs. So one of the first things I did, I literally had a chainsaw in my car while we were signing for the, the house, by the way. Anyways, and so when I got to the house, I started cutting trees down and digging them up. You know, it had been really nice. It had been really, really nice to just cut them off real low and then, you know, put some dirt over the stump. What would have happened this spring? out of the, that stump, out of that dirt, would start to come that tree again, wouldn't it? <laughs> It'd have been nice just to lop off the top, but I've had to dig probably 10 trees out of the ground. Um, some of them I pulled out with my truck, and that's been fun, but usually I've had to dig because of where they're at. Anyways, Paul is going to show us that very same principle. Look at it in uh, verse 5. He says, uh, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And then he gives this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, what I want to point out about that is, this list is actually uh, a progressive list from the outward sin to the heart issue. Look at it there. Sexual immorality. That's the outward sin. Impurity. This is a, a sexual perversion of the mind. Then you see their uh, passion. This is a, a strong, almost insatiable desire to do something. And then before that, you see evil desire. This is before it, it built up to a huge passion, right? And then it says before that, covetousness. Covetousness is wanting something that you do not and should not have. So you have this covetousness. I want this, this sexual thing. And that gives you this evil desire. Okay, I, I, I like that. And it's small. It hadn't become big. And you, that goes unchecked. And that becomes passion. This desire is driving me. I, I, it's all I can think about. And then impurity. My mind is being changed by this passion. I don't even care what it takes. I want to fulfill this desire. And then boom, sexual impurity. The outward sin what Paul's doing here is he's saying it's not enough to lop off the sexual immorality. You got to wind it back and find the root of that sin. Just like I've got to dig up the trees of my yard, we've got to dig up the roots of our sin. And here it says covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. The idea here is you say, I want that. I'm not supposed to have that, but I don't care. I'm going to get it Anyways, that's covetousness, and it's saying, "God, I don't care what you want. I'm going to get what I want." And and by definition, that's worshiping ourself. That's uh, that's uh, that's uh, idolatry. That's saying, "I'm going to do things. I'm the king of my life. I'm going to worship me, what I want, not what you want." And, And that's covetousness, which is idolatry. So that's the root here of, of this sexual sin, this, this covetousness, this pride of I am above God. I'm going to get what I want. And of course, again, it's not enough just to, to cut off the, the, the outward sin. I don't know what your sin is. I really don't. It, it might be sexual sin. It might be lying. It might be unkindness. It might be, you know, pride. It might be greed. It, I, I don't know. But he's saying, turn it back. Look for these roots and then attack it with the word of God. Make war on it. It's hard work, guys. It's hard work to set our minds on heavenly things Then, when God shows us how we don't uh, line up with his word to then put off these worldly things. It's hard work, but it is amazing work. It is good work. It's life-transforming work. I want to mention something. Uh, Some people would say, well, I would stop that sin, but I'm trying to get a heavenly focus. Yeah, no, no, you go ahead and stop that sin while you try to foster that heavenly focus. You're not going to get that heavenly focus while you're doing something that God hates. Go ahead and stop it. (laughs) Then, Then let God change your heart so that you don't even want to go back to that thing. All right, I'd love to spend more time on those verses, but there's a lot here. The next thing that we see, this this next uh, uh, part of practical Christianity, is put on godliness. That's number three, put on godliness. We see that in verses 12 through 14. Paul says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another... For, forgive one each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This, this put on, put off language is the language of changing clothes. These are the same words they would have used for changing clothes. And so the, the idea here is, like clothes, take off this, this sinful lifestyle, set it aside, get rid of it, and put on this new godly lifestyle. This is like, you know, coming in from mowing the lawn and you've got all these dirty clothes, muddy and sweaty and stuff. Take those things off. But what Paul's saying here is that's not the last step, right? Just to take off your clothes isn't enough to go out to the grocery store, right? (laughs) You need to then put on new clothes. Something's going to take that sin's place if it's not filled with something righteousness. Righteous, I'm sorry. So, I want to show you from uh, back on the the put-off worldliness, there was a a list there, the second list in verse 8 of sins. Let's look at that. It says, You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. What what those are, is they're all social sins. Anger, wrath, malice. They're, 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 They're ways that you treat other people that we're told to put away. And what I love is, by putting them all away, it seems to be making room for these godly virtues to take their place. In verse 12, look at these and think about how they compare with what we just read on those um, sins. Verse 12, put on then, now I'm skipping, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together. You see that? By, by putting off this anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, we're able to put on the, these compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and forgiveness, and love. God makes room in our lives by by putting off these other things so that we can put on these new godly virtues. And what a beautiful picture that we see there in verses 12 through 14 of living this new kind of life in Christ. To have this compassionate heart. Didn't Jesus have a compassionate heart? Multiple times in the Bible, he comes up on crowds who'd done nothing good for him and it says he had compassion on them. When you think of his kindness, his humility, his meekness, these, it's amazing how these things can take up residence in our lives as we put off worldliness and seek to put on godliness. And these are just a sampling, by the way. These are the social sins, but it could be anything in your life that we can put off, these new attitudes, these these new ways of life. And finally, you begin living like the person you were created to be in Christ. And to, to finish up here, what is the best result of all this? What's the best result Number four, you get to basically experience Christ with thankfulness. You experience Christ with thankfulness when you're putting your your mind on the things of heaven and when you're putting off sin and when you're putting on godliness. You get to experience Christ with thankfulness. We see that in verses 15 through 17. Paul says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So when we're having this heavenly focus, and we're, we're obeying God, what we see in his word that we need to put off and put on, this allows us to experience some of the greatest things this side of heaven. We get to experience Christ. The first way we see that is in fi- verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is a, a supernatural peace that comes to the Christian who is growing in Christ. You can think of uh, Romans 8:6. It says, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. That, that's what we, we get. That's what we begin to have when we're following and growing in Jesus in these ways. And I want to point out another thing. Is it, it doesn't say you just have any old peace. You, you get some peace. It says, The peace of Christ will rule in your hearts. That's that's the peace of God is what you'll have. Let's think about this. Do you think that Jesus is an anxious person? That he lacks peace? He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is completely in control. He knows the end from the beginning. I don't think that Jesus lacks peace. And he says that this is the type of peace that you'll have rule in your hearts. That's amazing that we get to experience Christ's peace. You know, I've, I've counseled um, a bunch of people who, in one way or another, they lacked peace in their life. They, they couldn't figure out—everything seemed to be going against them. They couldn't just uh, find a, a rest for their soul or anything like that. And ten times out of ten, when I ask them, so are, are you in God's Word? Are, are you praying? Are, are you walking in, in obedience to Him? Ten times out of ten, nah. I haven't really had. You don't understand. I'm busy. I can't. I can't be reading God's word right now. I can't really have. I don't have time for that. Okay. What about sin? Well, you know, I'm. I'm doing these things, but you know, I kind of. It's. It's hard to get away from those sins. I know why you don't have peace, man. (laughs) You're not setting your mind on the things above. You're not seeking or seeking then setting your minds on the things above. And you're not obeying him. Of course you're not going to have peace. It, it, it just makes sense that you're not going to have, have peace. And for these people, again, 10 times out of 10, the peace only came as they changed their stance towards Jesus. They were seeking, they're setting their minds on him, and they're obeying him. And that's what we, we get when we're abiding in Christ in this way. We get to experience him when we're focused on him. Here's the last thing I want to point out, and this is very fitting as it's a Thanksgiving weekend. The thankfulness that comes in this. This is going to be, I think, a more interesting point than you're expecting right now. <laughs> it was to me as I was studying and as I was thinking over this. Um, wh- what is the opposite of idolatry, of this covetousness which is idolatry? I think it's thankfulness, gratitude. No, I, I covet. I, I want something that I don't have, and I want to get it. The opposite of that is, I am so thankful for everything that I have. I deserve nothing, but it's been given to me. That's what happens when we begin to have this, these heavenly values, this, this heavenly perspective. We're putting off worldliness, putting on godliness. All of a sudden, we're, we're, we're content. We're, we're thankful for what we have in Christ. I deserve none of it. I deserve hell because of my sin, but he gives me everything. And three times in these verses, it says that we are thankful because of what he's done. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When you experience Christ Jesus, when your mind is changed, your heart is changed, you will experience an overflow of thankfulness. The person who is overflowing with contentment and and the realization of what's been done for them and what they have in Christ will be overflowing in thankfulness. That is amazing. That is amazing. So where have we been today? What's practical Christianity? Set your minds. Sorry, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things here on earth. This is this this seeking and setting of our minds. We don't just learn a truth and say, okay, good, I memorized it, time to go. No, we let it soak in to our hearts. And then as God shows us things, we begin to put off the worldliness. And we do that, again, by the power of the Spirit as we go to the root of the problem, not just the fruit of the problem. We put off worldliness And that makes room for true godliness in our lives, true humility and meekness and love and forgiveness, true godliness. And through that, we get to experience Christ with thanksgiving. Remember last week we said that people tried to force these spiritual experiences and try to feel light and fluffy and happy? That's not what this is. (laughs) This is is an experience with substance because it's really Christ. This is thankfulness that's really overflowing with gratitude to God. So, Christian, where are you at today? I don't care how long you've been doing this Christian thing, if it's been five months or 50 years, this is what we all need to be doing. There's never a time this side of heaven that we can say, no, no, I already grew. I did that 20 years ago, and now I'm good. No, it doesn't work like that. We now need to be seeking the things that are above where Christ is. We now need to be setting our minds on the things that are above. This is what we do, and God will change us. He'll he'll soften our hearts, just like the, the, the fire starts to warm us. Slowly but surely, he will change us. He will warm us to his glory and to our purpose here on this earth. No matter where you're at. This, this is a word for you today of what practical Christianity t- is. Here's the problem. I think you already knew what I said today. I think you already knew it in your head. <laughs> the question is has it ever made it into your heart before? I'll, I'll tell you how you know. Are you meditating on God's Word? Are you meditating on His truth? Are you putting off worldliness by the power of the Spirit? Are you putting on godliness? And are you experiencing Christ? Has has this made it to your heart before? Let's pray and ask God right now that he do these things. Father God, you're a good God who has saved us and not left us in poverty. God, you have spiritually blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places. God, you've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us community. God, I I pray that you would help us. Give us the desire. Give us the opportunity. Let us do whatever it takes to begin seeking these heavenly realities and setting our minds on them, God. Let us make use of the resources you've given us. Let us make use of the rewards Jesus has bought us. God, we want to change. We don't want to stay where we're at. God, if we're not growing, we're we're, we're getting smaller. We're we're getting weaker. God, help us to have a a fire in our hearts that wants to know you more, that is willing to spend the time meditating on you, then living in light of the realities that you show us. God, do this with your Spirit. Do this with your Word in our lives. I pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. You'll have a little more time to to think about this as we, we do communion right now.